Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I'm your host, Rob Christofferson. And returning to the podcast, I have the wonderful Stephanie Quick and the wonderful AP Strange. Uh, welcome back, y'all. Hi. <laughs> hey, Rob. Uh, we're going to clown around tonight. Uh, we figured it was appropriate to do, I, I, and mainly because when this episode drops on May 1st, it coincides with a with a few interesting clownish type sightings, uh, ones you may be familiar with and some you may not. But um, the the theme of today is clowns and 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 uh, one of the most infamous clowns that people are talking about more and more these days is Sam the Sandown Clown. Now, we were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording and. I, I think what's interesting about Sam is that, uh, you know, aside from a few mentions and, you know, some books and maybe some online forums and stuff like that, Sam wasn't really a fixture in um, the kind of like the paranormal pop culture until podcasts came along, like the Kryptonaut podcast, like uh, last podcast on the left did an episode. Uh, I think it was titled um, like one. Uh, what the heck were they called? One off cryptids or something like that. And I think Sam's interesting because Sam was never. In, in the initial before article about him by Norman Oliver. He's not called a clown, never called a clown. In fact, he's called um, a ghost or a spaceman. So I I think first and foremost, uh, I want to put this to both of you. Do you think there that Sam possesses the qualities of a, of a good clown? Let's start with AP here on this one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, really thinking hard about this one. <clears throat> one thing that struck me is the triangular blue eyes. Because um, mm. I have heard, and I couldn't find anything to back me up on this, but I know I read it somewhere, that typically when you're doing a clown face, like white face clown makeup, it's a big no-no to use blue, especially around the eyes. Because mm. it has a, it has the um, resonance of death and kind of bruising, or you think of black eyes and stuff, and not nice things. So mm -hmm. typically, like with a white face clown, it would be red yellow warm colors you try to stay away from the cooler colors except for accents so that's pretty interesting um uh other than that like the raggedy clothes um the fumbling with the book uh the <laughs> the, the kind of general mannerisms and the goofiness of it um yeah, yeah i mean there's there's a lot there that's resonant of clowns and clowning i think so mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, he, he, the the girl Faye kind of described him as being dressed as a clown or reminiscent mm -hmm. of a clown. I think in that original Before a report. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say 
he's he's some kind of emanation from the clown realm. (laughs) 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 What do you think, Steph? Yeah, my colleague in Cougary. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) We both have doctorates of cuconomy, so just so people know what they're dealing with, the level of expertise here. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of people, we're not just your ordinary kook. (laughs) (laughs) We're taking it to the next level. The speaking of people with actual PhDs, uh, Professor Wham, who is a guest on the show, I, I had asked her, I said, do you have any like more academic um, references just off the top of your head about the like clowns, sacred clowns and uh, indigenous society um, and just anything on it? And uh, she sent us this uh, great website, which, of course, I've forgotten the name of now. But um, when I uh, share the thing, or we could put it in the, the notes if you want. It has a lot of oh, different articles. Was, uh, it was the website of Moshe Cohen. He's a yes. clown for, um, they do, cl- he's part of Clowns Without Borders and does a lot of clowning around the world for good causes and stuff like that. So, yeah, so <laughs> he they kind of compiled uh, these. Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. like uh, from uh, accounts from, uh, you know, like 100 years ago up to today and indigenous and practitioners. But I was reading some of these and with a lot of these indigenous um, reports of sacred clowns who are all uh, often integral to rituals. Um, You'll notice that they uh, tend to be uh, yeah, poverty and humility is like a quality. So what strikes me most about Sandown uh, Sam is that he has, I was telling my mom, I said, it's kind of like he, like if you have like a entity, like even without a body and he just kind of like found trash that was laying around and kind of used to kind of make a scarecrow yeah. that he could use, something like that. And so it has very much that feeling of uh, poverty, of just kind of doing things on the fly and kind of coming with the improvisation. Um, and then also uh, the, how do I want to say, um, being involved with children. I mean, uh, especially uh, AP, there's a, a lady on Twitter, Sneakersnee. She does clown burlesque and clown erotica. She has an 18 plus uh twitter account on and performances um uh, she's also interested in ufos but she i was just attracted to her because uh her aesthetic is so wonderful and she does incredible makeup and she designs uh and sews a lot of her own costumes and i sew as well so um but she had posted something a few months ago talking about um uh, people that actually produce erotica uh, and porn that has a clown fetish basis mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the importance of um, making sure that that's for adults or mature audiences only so that you can kind of have the full experience of whatever people are wanting to get interested in about clowns and their uh, erotic desires, but that um, you're able to keep that innocence of clowns interacting with children too. Um and she talked about like the uh, there's like um kind of the clown creed from uh, early circus clowning in uh, early 20th century uh, United States, and they had talked about this and the importance of preserving the space that's just kind of like innocently and for children and to protect that, um, you know, for that time that they are before they they lose their innocence. Um, and so I it seemed to me like Sandown Sam his approaching the children this is very much also of the kind of the clown uh, archetype i guess so 
Yeah. 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 I, I, I tend to agree. And like, yeah, like, you know, first and foremost, when you look at this sketch of Sam, I think, you know, from a visual standpoint, you can see the clown kind of right away. Like, um, maybe not wearing the colors that you would think a clown would wear because, you know, normally you think of a clown wearing, you know, brighter club colors, you know, Sam's a little more drabber, uh, you know, working with like greens and browns hey, and stuff like that. Hey, he's, he's <laughs> Sam of all colors. That's right. Sam he's of he's Sam colors. of drab colors. Okay. He's Sam of earth he, colors. He doesn't discriminate <laughs> all colors. Sam, so. Sam is right. accepting of all colors because he is Sam of all colors. But um, so for those not familiar with the story of Sam, let's let's get into uh, the story. So gracing the cover of the January, February 1978 issue of the Bufora Journal was a unique figure. They're shoeless, tall, wearing pants and a coat. Uh, something is uh, he's got something draped over his shoulder. It looks like he's got like he's like holding onto a jacket or it's kind of looks like half a cape or something. And he's got three fingers on their left hand, you know, uh, holding a microphone attached to a small box. So clearly somebody who loves going to karaoke night and um, can really like clear out the bar with a really solid performance. I know exactly what that's like. I've done it on many occasions. But um, it's something from the, the imagination of a child. Like when you look at it, it looks like it's from, you know, a child's imagination. And, you know, underneath this image on this cover is the phrase ghost or spaceman. And, you know, that's that's our first impression of Sam. What is Sam? Well, uh you're going to hear him refer to himself as kind of like a ghost or maybe he's a spaceman. He's um, there are others like him, according to him. But um, um, the story comes to us by a man who's given the pseudonym Mr. Y, um, who wrote to a man named Leonard Cramp, who in turn wrote to uh, Norman Oliver, the uh, writer of the article on Sam. Um, and it's the only article that I've ever really seen um, on the case other than like copycat articles that have come down and uh, from people who've covered it on podcasts and stuff. But um, yeah, in today's age, we have the world of podcasting to thank for knowing more about Sam. And uh, yeah, like um, the, the first instance uh, that I ever heard of it was through the Kryptonaut guys and like. I think what's great about that episode and if you go and listen to it like they're excited about this because they've never heard of this either like this is completely new on their radar and stuff and uh you know since then sam has kind of garnered this life the second life on on podcasts around the world so uh the story of sam the sandown clown is um really not a singular encounter but it's kind of a family ordeal in a way uh, that includes UFO sightings um, and uh, a USO sighting, too, as well as uh, the encounter of Sam. So to tell the story of Sam, we need to, we need to head to the Isle of Wight, uh, located south in the southeast of England, two miles off the coast of Hampshire. 
Um, and Sandown is a seaside resort town. It's it's uh, southeast of, uh, on the island, and it's known for its beaches. It's got these beautiful chalk cliffs. Um, it's, it's a very beautiful area if you like temperate sandy beaches and stuff. You know, like I I, I could see myself, you know, lying out in the summer just taking it easy and thinking about how i'm on a beach and i'm not far from where sam the Sandown clown like <laughs> was hanging out on a golf course <laughs> in his murder shed yes <laughs> so um the theme one of the themes for this episode is that um uh, Clowns seem to pop up in the month of May and usually early in the month of May. And what's early in the month of May? My damn birthday. And you know who else has a birthday in the month? Stephanie. So, Me. Like, <laughs> so you know, it, it only makes sense. Oh, uh, oh, right, right. At this point, I think it's incumbent upon me to inform the audience that uh, clown synchronicities are a thing and an indication <laughs> that you've entered the clown realm. And um, <laughs> if you've listened this far, you're going to have some clown synchronicities. Uh, I'm not talking about a clown showing up at your door, but I'm not ruling that out either. <laughs> and it's it's already too late. It's already <laughs> going to happen to you. So um, you might as well listen to the rest of the episode. Like stopping yeah. it now won't help. Yeah. And uh, you, I, I take full responsibility for this because <laughs> I've had this happen to other people before. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But feel free to yell at me on Twitter later about uh, your clown synchronicities. It um, happened to me. It's going to happen to you. Yeah, it happened to Rob. I've had it happen to Steph, SJ, you know, all the people I <laughs> inflicted this upon. But I'm sorry. I opened a port. I opened a portal to the clown realm a couple of years ago, and I haven't been able to close it. So. <laughs> I mean that my is advice um, to you is, my advice to everybody is deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> like this is a D and D storyline right now. It's like AP has opened this realm and he has no way to get it back in. And like this, yeah, that that's that's what's happening here. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fairly accurate. That's that's definitely accurate. But uh, yeah, so um, the. Article doesn't give the specific day, but we've pinpointed it to either May 8th or May 15th. Kind of depends on when you consider a three-week timeline for when Faye tells her dad about the story, but it's it's in and around that time. Uh, and near the fairways of the Shanklin Sandown Golf Club, Faye and a friend of hers were near Lake Common when they heard an ambulance-like wailing coming from across the course. Now, either somebody has been someone right in the head with a golf ball, or we have some weird intergalactic clown on our hands. There's only two options. Those are the only options I'm giving you. There's nothing else uh, that, that could possibly be making this sound. So... They um they follow the sound to this kind of swampy meadow that's adjacent to this uh little used airport, the Sandown Airport. Uh, and that's where the noise kind of ceased for a moment. And it was when they were crossing a, a wooden footbridge. Uh Faye and her friend noticed a blue-gloved hand emerging from underneath the bridge 
and along with it, a strange figure. Quote, the figure fumbled with a book, dropped it in the water, then splashed about to retrieve it. Um, already, I feel for Sam because this feels like me on a daily basis, dropping everything. <laughs> I can relate to that as well. Yes. As long as it's not dropped in the toilet, I consider it a good day. <laughs> oh, but also, <laughs> also, okay, so a clown under the bridge, clownish and clowning around under the bridge. And uh, as Stephanie pointed out earlier today, it's actually, we were recording this on Timothy Curry's birthday. And he, yes. of course, played Pennywise, Pennywise in the original TV movie, who yeah. is to be found under bridges and places like that. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so everything we're about the that you, yeah, everything that you've said so far is liminal. I mean, if people read Trickster and the Paranormal, um, a marshy area, right? This neither land nor sea. It's an island, right, in the English Channel, uh, which is all you know, very liminal. Uh, they're on vacation. That's a liminal time, right? Um, airport that has to do with uh, the trickster archetype uh, being associated with Hermes and travel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, and a closed down airport at that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And they're on a footbridge, a bridge between. So everything about this is incredibly liminal. And actually, uh, a- Pete, you and I were talking earlier today about Hermes, and um, his colors tend to be black, gray, and blue. So he has a blue hand coming up. So the whole thing is very tricksterish hmm. and liminal. Yes. Uh, And I think like uh, I remember being a kid and having a fondness for like. Kind of. I guess you could call them liminal spaces, but like spaces that seem neglected, like you go and visit these spaces and you and you like introduce yourself to these spaces and like the idea that anything can happen in these spaces and like that, that's something that like i've i always remember from being a kid and like uh there's it brings me back to golfing with my dad because there's this one hole at the saranac lake golf course that um it's the seventh tee to get there you basically have to drive through a swamp and when you get to the tee box you have to hit over that swamp otherwise you're losing your ball you like this is the worst okay this is the worst a place to tee off uh, in the entire course okay so you've got a swamp in front of you you've got trees on your left you got trees on your right and for somebody who slices right i can tell you i never made it out of that uh tee box alive but uh you know i i can i can respect that that interesting and like the fact that these things are kind of drawn to those neglected spaces like you know do they identify with those spaces? Like, because I think like, you know, uh, people do identify with those kind of spaces because I definitely did as a kid. So like, uh, that's, that is fascinating, especially when you do read the trickster and the paranormal, which I'm slowly making my way through because I've got the brain tired most of the time. And it's like, Oh, (laughs) okay. Mr. Academic man. Could we take it easy here? Like, Well, he introduces a lot of uh, intense uh, theoretical academic frameworks in the beginning Mm -hmm. of that too. And I I was, I was lucky in that uh, I went to college in the about the same time that he was going to college. And so I had that academic background as well, Mm -hmm. because both of us studied that structuralism and stuff. But when you're first coming to it, 
I mean, it's one thing when you're like 20, the brain is like going on all cylinders and it's another thing. Like, glad I got that out of the way when I was young. But um, yeah, but it's very powerful to think about. And like you say, are they attracted to those spaces or are those spaces um, just kind of not structured enough mm -hmm. that more things can come through? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes you wonder. So Sam... He walks into this strange hut that's made of metal. And when you look at the sketch of it, it almost looks like a trunk in, in many ways. The way it's drawn, the way that it has those kind of like strips of metal on the top of it. And it has that kind of rounded top to it. It looks like a trunk that maybe a clown would go into for for something. So. You got more kind of clown parallels here, but um and also a traveling because my mom actually has a, a trunk like that in her bedroom. Mm. Um, and you know, those are were in the in the olden days, let's say in the Victorian Edwardian era, that was what you'd use to travel. You wouldn't have a suitcase, you'd have like a trunk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um and this this hut had no windows on it of any kind, and and when they watched Sam approach this hut uh he moved quote along with a strange hopping motion with knees raised high so he's basically like he's almost like skipping his way there um the picture of doing like the john cleese silly walk from money python <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely like i want to know if this guy is a comedian wherever he comes from because i i would assume he has to be He's got to be. Wait, is this guy John Cleese? Has anybody asked John Cleese <laughs> where he, he was in May yeah. of 1973? I, I think uh, somebody's going to have to. Somebody's He's awfully have to. tall. So. He is. He is. And if somebody finds a weird wooden mask and his home, we've got him dead to rights. There you go. A little berry stain on there. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> so... They and her friend decided that maybe it was time to get the hell out of there. But before long, <laughs> the being reemerged from uh, their hut carrying a microphone with a black knob atop it. Totally normal. And then the wailing noise returned. Um, it was so loud uh, that the boy who was with Faye became frightened and he started to run. Mm -hmm. And th that was when the noise ceased and the being spoke into the microphone. Uh, although they were far away now, they could hear the message clearly. Hello, are you still there? Um, so I see Sam as kind of a sad individual a little bit, just um, just in the way that uh, his 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 mannerisms and he just seems like a lonely guy. But um, he's probably embarrassed about dropping his book and everything. Probably, uh, I would be. I I was uh, I, I I was walking. Uh, I had to go to the store earlier, and I walked, and uh, I was crossing a street, and I uh, I almost tripped on something, and I totally know how that feels because I was like, "Yep, totally cool. I meant to do that." Um, yeah. Oh. But uh, the voice seemed friendly enough, so the children decided to turn around and approach the figure. Uh, quote, he was nearly seven feet tall and had no neck, for his head appeared to be wedged straight onto his shoulders. He wore a yellow pointed hat, which interlocked with the red collar of a green tunic. 
A round black knob was affixed to the top of his hat, and wooden antenna were attached uh, to either side. The face had triangular markings for eyes, a brown square of a nose, and motionless yellow lips. Other round markings were on his paper white cheeks, and a fringe of red hair fell onto his forehead. Wooden slats protruded from his sleeves and from below his white trousers, end quote. So, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting description of Sam. Like, uh, total redhead. He gives off total redhead vibes, I'm just going to say. <laughs> He's a ginger. Totally. <laughs> Uh, uh, and despite the fact that he had just spoken moments ago, his next communique came in a, in the written form. So a large three fingered hand wrote in the notebook that he had just dropped in the water and he turned it to the children and it said, hello, I am all colors, Sam. So again, Sam does not discriminate <laughs> Against all color. Sam is an LGBTQ plus icon, okay? And I think he should be revered as an LGBTQ plus icon, okay? Uh, he is all color Sam, so he should be revered for that. Um, because I feel like, you know, Mothman does, the Babadook does. I think it's time for Sam the Sandown Clown to ascend to that next level of being an LGBTQ plus um ally and icon so yeah um, well, an anti-racist <laughs> icon as well mm -hmm. yes right? i like i like that's a nice that's a, actually a very nice uh message to come across to humanity with you know you're just mm -hmm. kind of showing up and things may be a little bit hectic with your whole uh wardrobe and coiffure <laughs> <laughs> yes but you know the heart is there yes i yeah. like it yeah, and I mean, I don't know how to how that would be really read because he had them read it out loud, right? From what yeah. I understand, he didn't write them in any particular order. No, there was he didn't. just a mess yeah. of words, and he pointed to them in the order yes. they should go in, and yeah. had Faye read it out loud. Yeah. Um, but the like, just saying, I am all colors to me is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, when when if you leave the name out of it, because you know, getting a little bit ahead, he kind of comes around and says his name isn't really Sam. He just kind of doesn't have a name and he likes that as yep. a name, you know. But um, uh, when you talk, think about John Keel's ideas about ultra-terrestrials, the example he always uses is that there's a spectrum of light that's visible to us mm -hmm. and there's all these invisible spectrums and that's kind of the whole idea is that uh, ultra-terrestrials exist on a on a um different vibrational realm right yes so when he's talking about all colors it makes me think of he's kind of like all across the spectrum of various spectrums of reality yeah, yeah. radiation spectrum yeah. yeah yeah and that that also ties into the latest um uh episode of the haunted objects podcast and the way that they were talking about an episode about seeing auras and how like our eyes work we only have so many you know cones and rods and um, right. curly in photography that. you can see it yes. yeah yep. yep but um yeah and from maybe from his perspective he's just all the colors all at once yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so. sam sam's on the spectrum sam is the spectrum so um and, and i think what's interesting here is that for sam 
he's clearly spent time in England. Uh, he's and it, it because he, he, you know, for instance, he writes colors in the in the British way with a U in it. So that's interesting there. And uh, yeah, like his unconventional way of pointing it out, like um, in in fact, holding up his his uh, little notebook and just pointing to every single word in the way that it should be read, which is, which is, it's, there's like a, it's cute. I'll just say it. It's cute. I love it. <laughs> I, I mean, it, this, it's pretty it's clowny a, though, right? It's it is. Like it's if very you had a kid's show as a clown. Yeah. 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 And it reminds me, I was actually talking with some people uh, about this on Twitter recently, but, um, so I was born in 1962. So I would have been actually about the, the age and vintage of Faye. Um, but I was here in the San Francisco Bay Area and we actually spent a lot of time in Berkeley. And I was talking with people. One of the things is that there was a lot of wild art and like performance and body art that came out of Berkeley and the Bay Area in that time. But there was also a long history of, I was just talking about this. They had a school for the deaf that was actually founded in San Francisco in 1860. And then in 1869, it moved to Berkeley. So this was like over a hundred years before, you know, I was bopping around there. So there was always a lot of inclusion of people who were like differently abled or people who may have disabilities and stuff. And the disability rights um, movement got started there, like especially in the 60s and 70s in Berkeley. Uh, like that's why you have uh, like uh, ramps so people with wheelchairs or mobility issues can get around places um, mm. these days instead of just like people would have to be like literally carried by strangers <laughs> like to get to a courthouse or something before these accommodations anyway so i have known uh just a number of deaf people and it's funny because i mean i don't know it's funny, but just like that's one of the ways that you could communicate with someone who is deaf is they like a lot of people would um between deaf and hearing people, you just carry around a pad and write on it, right? Yep. And um, when I was going to school at UC Berkeley, there was a, a artist, uh, performance artist, poet, filmmaker named Frank Moore, who was um, had a lot of problems moving his body, and he had it was like an electric wheelchair. Um, is a nationally prominent artist, um, but you'd always see him because he had like a talking board which is not a Ouija word. <laughs> it's like a word <laughs> with the alphabet, a bunch of common words. And you can, hey, had a, a stick you could hold in your mouth because yeah. he couldn't really move his arms too great. And you could point things out, um, words or whatever. And uh, he, I uh, met him once. He asked, he was asking people to be in a, a movie he was making. And so he, his assistant gave, gave out like a mimeograph or Xerox sheet that said, well, I'm making this movie. It's going to be greetings, blah, blah, blah. I can do this and that. Oh, you can be naked if you want. I was like, thank you. I'm fine. <laughs> he did these great performances where he would just like be like kind of like quasi orgy performances thing. He'd be naked. So it's like very provocative because he had this body that he obviously had a very hard time with. Yet he's like orchestrating all these like really fun experiences. But that it really takes me back the way that Sam is like using these various devices. Cause the other thing is that I knew people growing up, I think people smoked more. And so there was more uh, cancer of the larynx, mm -hmm. which is your voice box. Right. Yep. So I knew 
a number of people when I was growing up, it, uh, and I, I forgot the name of it, but you, it's called an electrolarynx. And it um, reminds me of this microphone because it's like a, it's kind of like shaped like a wand and it vibrates. And so you can hold it up to vibrate near your throat and then people can use it to create speech. Mm-hmm. even though your voice box has been removed. So it's interesting to me to see that um, devices and methods, technologies that people would use to communicate it back then. And it makes me wonder about Faye, if she knew someone who was deaf around her or someone with like an electrolarynx or something that um, might have kind of invaded her imaginal space or made it seem more uh like these would be ways that someone who you would have a difficulty communicating with would communicate. Conversely, of course, Sam could have said, you know, I don't want to just like full on go, you know, full on Vulcan mind meld telepathy on this kid. So maybe it'll make more uh, sense to them to use these other methods. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, also from his perspective, it would seem, and we're saying his too, like, I don't even know what his gender is. It's not entirely clear. Uh, but um, he, the, from from the perspective of Sam, you're looking at a um, the sound that he that he made originally. The siren noise seemed to have brought them in, mm-hmm. which um, that that's what made them investigate the first time. Which you could read mythological things into that as well as the siren song and mm-hmm. whatnot. But yeah. um, but then when when um, <clears throat> But it seemed like they got scared after that, right? So he maybe he was pointing to the page because he the um, the boy wanted to run away when he's talking through the box. Mm-hmm. So he's like, "Well, like I don't come over here. I don't want to scare him again. So I guess I'll just write it down. Like, yeah, let's stay do something sound, fun and yeah. interactive and write it down because." Mm-hmm. Uh, and that might be why he's bringing up all colors. He's trying to move from audio to visual and just right. you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Trying to find a way to interface on a communicative, uh, communicative level. So yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, Sam, he never his his mouth didn't move, but sound came out of it. And um, they kind of they kind of do this Q and A back and forth. Um, um, they asked about his clothes, uh, which were all ripped, and he told them that he only had one set, so he could only wear those. Um, uh, uh, because of his uh, strange white features, they asked if he was really a man. The answer was a chuckled no. Uh, they also asked if he was a ghost. The vague reply was, well, not really, but I am in an odd sort of way. <laughs> Um, Look, I'm not a ghost, but I am a ghost. But it's real weird, guys. Yeah, <laughs> like I can't explain it to you, but like, no, I'm not a ghost. Wink. Um, yeah, it's like people. I don't know. Young women get accused of this a lot, but you know, like the person that's like you're trying to get. Okay, well, what? Where would you like to go for dinner? You know? And yeah. Like, well, yeah. Nah, nah, yep. nah. And it's like a half an hour later and everyone's ready to slaughter each other. Yeah. Just go full cannibal. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It uh, seems like his personality kind of comes through. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, um, Sam, just take him to dinner. He's he's not going to make a decision <laughs> here. Just tell him where you're going and you go. he'll be along for the ride. Um, <laughs> So they ask him, what are you then? And uh, they continued 
but uh, only obtain the answer, you know, uh, with no further explanation. Uh, he also said he had no name. There were others like him, though, and he drew a rough sketch of one of them. He also confided that he was frightened of people and scared they might hurt him. Apparently, if attacked, he would not fight back. And like, yeah, I totally understand. I'm scared of people, too. Yeah. Sadly, it's just. I mean, I I would take my chances with Sam over Mm -hmm. most people. Oh, yeah. I um, in in terms of. People I would uh, like to spend my time with, there's a small, like, circle, and then there's Sam the Sandown Clown, and <laughs> I that's it. That's all I need. I don't want to spend time with any aliens. There's no alien that I've ever covered that I really want to spend time with, except for maybe Rachel from the Rachel's Eyes episode. I, I'd probably be okay <laughs> with her. Uh, beyond that... No, Sam. Sam's cool. I, I dig Sam. Um, yeah, I mean, if it was a choice between like, um, uh, you know, stand down Sam, being stuck in a shed with either Sam or just a random person from Walmart. Yeah, that I, I don't get to choose. I'd be like, no, Sam. Sam, definitely Sam. Sam. I want to hang totally out with Sam. Sam. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, Sam invites these kids into his hut and they crawl through this flap. Uh, And inside this hut is spacious. Um, I don't we don't really get dimensions on this hut, but I kind of get the idea that we got kind of a TARDIS situation. It's a little bit bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. Um, It's worth noting Faye was, what, seven? Yeah. Seven years old, something. So she's not right. going to give you square footage, probably. No, she's not um, going to give you square footage. But <laughs> like she I mean, she's she did say how tall Sam was. So I kind of figured we get like maybe like tallness a little bit. Like, you right. know, if it was like right. even if you're saying like, uh, it's you know, it was a big structure, but we don't even really get that. We just kind of get like small hut and like um, big on the inside. Bigger yeah. on the inside. Yeah, totally. But, a you know, that, right. I mean, that um, strange dimensional shift inside a TARDIS is the same thing that happens inside of a clown car. Same thing that happens happens inside UFOs. Yeah, it happens in UFOs too, so, yeah. How how do you think they pack that many clowns in a clown car? Exactly. (laughs) It's a dimensional space. Yeah, it's a dimensional (laughs) space, clearly. (laughs) Uh, But the nice thing about this hut for a small hut, there was two stories to it. Um, the walls were lined with bluish green wallpaper and covered with a pattern of dials. This luxurious space was furnished with wooden furniture and a simple electric heater. So that that's interesting right there. There's an electric heater in this thing. It's kind um, of steampunk, except for the electric heater. But yes. Yeah. Yes. And like the upper floor of this hut was made of metal. So um, didn't look like it didn't really describe any furnishings up on the second floor, but um, Sam explained that he's no windows. No, no windows. Like it's gotta be a hot as hell in there. (laughs) (laughs) What do you need an electric heater for Sam? I don't know. (laughs) You really that cold, bud? Is it really that cold? I mean, like it may be made of metal to make toast. Maybe you could put toast on it or something. 
maybe uh also or he used it for drying off his book because he always drops it in the river yeah probably drying out his clothes huh yeah <laughs> that he's only got one set you know and you got to keep those things dry as that's much good as that possible. the kids didn't catch him on laundry day because he would have oh just been God. hanging out in his birthday suit. imagine the imagine the well i don't even want to think about the description right now uh of what now you're making me think of Sam naked, and I don't want to do it. So I'm. Well, he's probably invisible. Think about it. Think about it. Think about no, it, Rob. No. <laughs> Not gonna think about it. So Sam explained that he subsisted on local vegetation, such as berries, which he collected in the afternoon. Berries and usually the dude. Yeah. No, no, he's not. Um, he filtered his water from the nearby swamp and indicated that he had a camp in mainland England. Um, a nudist camp. No, he did not. Uh, quote, once inside the hut, he removed his hat to reveal round white ears and sparse brown hair. Before eating a berry, he performed an odd conjuring trick. He placed the berry in his ear, thrust his head forward, and caused the berry to disappear and reappear at one of his odd eyes. Repeating the process, the berry traveled to his mouth. Uh, uh, and this is a, a note from Norman Oliver. A possible explanation could be that he was wearing some kind of protective mask and analyzing the berry to check if it was poisonous. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I sure. just have to add at this point, uh, AP and I were talking a while back about my, my dad at this time uh, worked for Western Union and they had like a bunch of interest, intriguing characters, let's call them, who were his co-workers and employees. One of which was this guy, Andy, who was a committed nudist. Damn it. <laughs> so I go away to camp through these nudist I'm not gonna escape it now. It's madness. Did they have a golf course at the nudist camp stuff? I don't think so, but you know, my dad. This kind of funny talking about all this stuff is bringing me. I'm back. not gonna make it out of this alive. <laughs> no, you're not. So my dad, for a number of years, has played golf every Thursday that he can with a number of guys most for i don't know about 25 years plus at this point most of them he met when he was working at uh as a network administrator at lawrence berkeley lab victoria by uc berkeley and so we have the uh, interdimensional atom smashing uh reality of the universe because like he some of these guys were physicists and stuff like that that he would play golf with so we have a uh, the, uh, the agony of the nudist and the ecstasy of the uh, particle physicists on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> I was wow. telling Matt, he um, had another guy who was like a, a, an aspiring breathitarian who was trying to cut back on his food, but like breathing more. But this is down in L.A. during the 70s before we had a kind of more uh, clean air regulation. So I don't know. It was kind of stymied. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems to be like that would be that would throw a wrench in that in those plans right there. Totally. I, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so uh, Faye and the boy talked to Sam for about half an hour inside the hut. And after which they ran to the first person that they could and mentioned Sam. Of course, they didn't believe her. 
and neither did her father at first when she told him uh, the story three weeks later on June 2nd, 1973. And she grew upset when he suggested that she made it all up. But uh, the father eventually caught up with the boy that was with her and he attested to it, although he was kind of like in, in the article, it, it states that he's like he was kind of hard to understand, which I assume is like, OK, it's a child like having a tough time describing what he was seeing. But like at the same time, like. What's interesting here is Mr. Y later told Norman Oliver Quote, I get the impression that Faye was uh, somehow taken into a bubble of alien reality created by this strange personage. He told them he had just made the hut. Also, Faye told me that while they were talking to this quote-unquote ghost, two workmen nearby were repairing a post. They paid no attention to the weird charade as though they could not see it. Um, so, the interesting thing here is that Mr. Y was a little more receptive to his daughter's story uh, because he had strange experiences himself, not with a seven foot tall, weird interdimensional clown. But um, on Tuesday, on a Tuesday, which is interesting because the encounter with Sam happened on a Tuesday. Uh, so um, Tuesday, October 20th, 1970, he had this very interesting encounter while he was passing through the village of Brading. He turned right towards St. Helens, and that was when he became aware of a set of red lights to his right-hand side. And whatever the cause, he noticed that it was flying low over a, a swampy area, which kind of ruled out the possibility of a plane because that was his first assumption. Um, but he stopped the car and watched these lights for a little while, noticing that they were composed of a wide ring of cherry red lights interspersed with turquoise and white. Uh, so Mr. White gets back in the car. He continues on, you know, just kind of not even really thinking about it. Um, but the object kind of flew parallel to him the entire time. And it crossed the road 300 yards behind him, just outside of St. Helens. He stopped the car again, and this time chose to signal the object with a flashlight, which if one theme of our strange skies is, if you're going to signal a UFO with a flashlight, you got to know what you're you got to know your Morse code. And the one thing that you don't signal to a UFO with a flashlight is SOS because your ass is going to get abducted because it's happened <laughs> on more than one occasion. I've it happened to Terry Lovelace. It happened to the Pascagoula or not the Pasco, the, the Allagash guys. Don't do it. Do not do not because like they'll pick you up. There's a cost. There's a price. And, you know, uh, this time we're okay though. He uh you know he doesn't signal SOS, you know, like do like John Keel did in the Mothman prophecies and ask it to rise and fall, you know, like have it do that. But um safe and sane. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> do the safer route because if not, you'll what'll happen is you'll have one of the most terrifying, you know, abduction encounters of all time. I'll cover it on this, on this damn podcast and it'll scar me for life. Like it did the Allagash guys. I still haven't forgotten that. And you know, what's interesting about the Allagash guys is that mm -hmm. the guy that, that contacted Ray Fowler, I think it was Jack mm -hmm. Wiener. You know what day he did it on May fucking sixth. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
There's another happy birthday to you. (laughs) (laughs) So Mr. Y, he was heading to a friend's house and this UFO basically followed him the entire way there. And to the point where um, the friend that he was going to see actually stepped outside and he saw it and he said something curious about it. He said it was like it was playing hide and seek behind some trees. So, like, you know, there's always these kind of stories of UFOs kind of being childlike in the way that they interact with people, which is, again, mm-hmm. talking about clowns here. So, you know, appealing to the the child um, in, in all of us. Um, but um, seeing red lights in the sky kind of became a thing for Mr. Y uh, over the years, but... One of the most startling encounters that he would have uh, occurred on March 1st, 1972, uh, between 9 and 10 p.m. He was perched on the cliffside of Compton Bay, quote, having been driven there by an unexpected tidal surge seemingly caused, in part at least, by some form of droning underwater craft, end quote. Um, From his spot up on the rocks, 40 feet away, he observed two yellow lights, quote, peering up at me like the eyes of some horrible sea monster end quote uh yeah i don't i don't like that um but eventually the lights disappeared and he drove to his car and then he drove home so you know that's interesting because it's like it doesn't explain what he was doing before that it just says he was drawn there by by these lights so um yeah like it's interesting so like is the fact that Faye's father has these encounters kind of like lend credence? It lends credence to her story. We can all stop thinking about Sam naked, and uh, we can move on um, to, uh, to other naked clowns. No, can I tell uh, Scott a story about there are naked clowns in this one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the theme. <laughs> Well, see, and then the other interesting thing here too that I'd like to note before we move on from Sam is that um, there there was no UFO directly with the Sam encounter, no. like, and he doesn't have a landed saucer nearby, or he doesn't even allude to being from another planet, really. No. Um, and you could read into his comments that there are others like him on this Earth, you know, uh, as as meaning that he comes from someplace other than you know, but um yeah all of it seems kind of tricksterish and kind of like uh you know what's kind of like a ghost but not really is like an earth spirit or various mm-hmm. different kinds of spirits yeah. and in older literature it's just um the term spirit could use be used pretty broadly and even right. terms like ghosts goblins spooks you know they could be used interchangeably for a lot of different things and yes. i think it's worth noting that uh fey Faye was like the main one that would talk to him. And it's just, you know, her name is Faye, which is pretty indicative that he might be of the, uh, of, of the good people, you know, (laughs) it makes a lot of sense, especially the, the characteristics of wood being involved where wood seems to be either part of his person or part of his clothing. Um, the wood antenna, the wood slats in his clothes, Right. Um, he seems to be made out of organic matter in some respect, you know, um, uh, almost plant-like. So is Sam a plantoid? 
Maybe. Is Sam a plantoid? Yeah. Plantoid um, and there's uh there's actually a lot of interesting parallels there between Sam and Jeff the talking mongoose. I was gonna because, say yes. Again, like bringing it up, the people of uh on the Isle of Man, again, we're talking about another isle of um yeah. England. They don't refer to to Jeff as the talking mongoose. They call him the Dolby Spook because right. it's a more broad term, you know. And like when you think about the idea of wood, well, it's through the wooden walls that you know he spoke to the family members and such, and you know got around, and um, you know he talked to uh, his main the the one person that he spent a lot of time with was worry so like there are a lot yeah. of parallels between the two there yeah right and also the cottingley fairies is another one you know the mm. in the in new yorkshire um and they had the photographic evidence which for a long time you know people had a yeah. difficulty actually just proving <laughs> but uh right. nowadays it's considered to be a gigantic hoax but uh um that's also kind of a coastal area yorkshire anyway mm -hmm. um and two young girls again and, and with with the with the fairy folk and i was just kind of revisiting what uh, fw holiday had to say about that and he was kind of talking about how um it's really hard to judge in in these things because it's it's really just an opportunity in a photographic plate for us to be able to see nature another way through the eyes of a child something where we haven't been able to really see it before so um uh, it is interesting because it gets back to the all colors thing. Uh, E.L. Gardner, the theosophist that uh, <clears throat> investigated the Cottingley fairies, thought they were light forms, basically, in their purest form. Uh, they were basically just globs of light, like devas of the plants in the nearby area and nature spirits that, mm -hmm. that could coalesce into a human-like form. So... Um, yeah, it, it, all these accounts where you have children as the main witnesses and not much to go on, and they end up being fodder for joking around. Um, but I, I mean, they're almost they're, they're kind of initiatory experiences too, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> for the people involved, and um, and for a lot of people that want to actually take it on board as an interesting study to actually look at Jeff the Mongoose or Sam the Sandown Clown or the Cottingly Fairies and really dissect it. Because yeah. uh, the, the reality of it is you could set that aside and really <laughs> have a meditation on on what this kind of phenomena is or what it means, rather. But what it means is often more important than what what it technically was, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, so. and not only that, how it how it affects someone after they've encountered something like mm -hmm. this, which again is not something that we get in most accounts of these things because they're right. more interested in the facts rather than being interested in topics that they are in questions that they don't see related to the incident itself. It's always, yeah, it's, it's almost itself. funnier. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. almost funnier to have an investigator say, well, well, maybe he was scanning the berry to see what it was like by putting it in his ear and having it roll around yeah. and come out of it. It's like, you're trying to come up, but you're reaching real hard for like a technical <laughs> don't like space yourself. tech kind of, yeah, don't hurt yourself, man. Because it's possible he was wearing a paper mache mask and just did that as a neat little trick to impress the kids. Like, right. 
What that was like, I listening to some pod, I think it was subliminal jihad or something. I've been having a lot of insomnia and listening to these podcasts, but they were talking about ontology in the strict sense, which is like, what is something, right? Versus ontology of performance, which is, okay, what does this thing do, right? So Mm -hmm. you can, and I think that there is a big disconnect in a lot of um, UFO and entity and cryptozoological um, things because you have, and I would love to know, okay, what is, when you see the UFO, where is that light coming from? What's going on with that, right? But then what does it do Mm -hmm. to, like you're saying, what does it do to people and society to have these ideas kind of injected um, through these narratives, right? Yeah, absolutely. Near-death yeah. experiences and mystical awakenings are very interesting in this way because they have a lot of overlap with mm-hmm. uh, like entity encounters, abduction events and stuff. And um, you have people that will have uh, very similar effects in their lives ongoing afterwards for years, right? Um, after a near-death experience, but they'll all be having very different um, physical conditions that led them to have that experience, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like everyone who has a particular type of heart attack of a particular severity uh, goes on to have the same effect, right? Mm -hmm. You could be having uh, a stroke or cancer or bleeding or any number, you know, a bad fever and delirium, any number of different physical effects. You have people, there's a great article that was called Black Ice in the New Yorker a few years ago of a guy who was, I think he was moving. He was in a truck with a bunch of stuff, driving on an unfamiliar road with his daughter in the back uh, seat from him and hit some black ice, lost control of the truck. And they miraculously survived unharmed, but he had a whole alteration of his consciousness and awareness of death, like a, basically a near-death experience mm-hmm. without all the visions in that time when they were uh, in free fall, so to speak, on the ice. And it's funny because he's written this article because he became obsessed with black ice. And he also found out that he he had... I want to say he had the feeling that he had like hyper awareness and that um, mm-hmm. of everything going on sensorily and that time slowed down. And then he found out later, he kind of winds up the article um, with he found out that he'd actually his his daughter, I think, had Skittles or something. And he had thought the idea that he had um, been able to count the Skittles as they were kind of like flying out of her hand during this, you know, couple of seconds. And he found out that he, later on when he was examining the truck that yes he had actually seen that accurately so which is this is the type of thing that happens to people after near-death experiences or alien abduction experiences even though it's like a completely different um physical cause and this guy he had like no actual physical reason physiologically to have this type of experience but somehow that event created an opening in his consciousness for this type of experience to happen and to have this ongoing effect, you know, and he's, he's getting these ideas out here, right? He's getting this nationally published piece about his experience and black ice conditions and road safety. Right. Right. So this is how these type of, um, yeah, these very, uh, uh, unique or, um, unusual states of consciousness that have these, um, 
very uh, charismatic uh, images and narratives to them that then take hold in our consciousness and then through our, our retelling of these stories are uh, what we're doing right here right now these ideas and symbols and images uh, kind of infect the larger consciousness so yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um and it's always and and what's interesting is it like the, the triggering event for like um ufos and near-death experiences are often the same thing it's generally light 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 yeah. of some kind yeah. um or yeah. it's sound it's lighter sound like it's never it's a vibration it's, or yeah. yeah it's never touch it's never taste it's it's never really any of those other senses so mm-hmm. um and and one of the things that i always like to, to tell people if you if you have a copy of um i think it's love in an alien purgatory the um the book of david huggins art i'm probably i probably have yeah. the title wrong but one of the most unassuming pieces of art in that book is a picture is an image of um david in a room there's a mantis being mm-hmm. kind of in the corner and coming through this portal in the wall is david's mother so like like to to me that's always interesting that like here's a guy that is very elaborate in the way that he um does all of this art um mm-hmm. when it comes to having sex with a with an alien and like crescent yes and and like uh also kind of like interacting with these aliens and then there's this unassuming piece mm-hmm. that if when you glance at it you probably just like pass it over and think of nothing of it but it's probably the most significant piece of art he's probably ever made i i would guess but like um you know compared to like seven foot tall naked alien human hybrids like it's not going to compare it's not going to compare it's just not but like um, for sheer erotic power yeah like the power that like the power of that one photo of david standing next to that seven foot tall photo or the painting yeah it's just like you, you can't escape it but like i encourage you to go pick up david's book and to look at that because like seriously you'll flip through the entire thing and you'll notice like there's barely anything in it to so to me that that to me that means it's a little more special than like the other stuff that he does but um we're gonna move to uh, a little more terrifying subject uh, the, the subject of phantom clouds oh yes phantom clouds um so you may recall back in 2016 that there were a lot of videos going around of people encountering terrifying looking clowns in like the middle of the road a lot of these uh were in like podunk small towns and stuff like that and sometimes you would catch these clowns like starting to approach these vehicles sometimes they were running after them sometimes they had knives and stuff well what a lot of people don't realize is that there were other earlier instances of this and in particular um 1981 may of 1981 the phenomenon dubbed phantom clowns started to pop up first in the boston massachusetts area uh but later on in other parts of the country um it started with clowns trying to lure kids into vans 
And it got so bad that the uh, police announced on May 6, 1981, <laughs> that men in clown suits were harassing kids throughout the city. This date was also mentioned in an article that AP wrote. Just like to make that known. Um, uh, you know, oh, God damn it. One was seen wearing only half a clown suit naked from the waist down. Can't escape it. Bullshit. He was wearing like a long tunic blouse thing to kind of down I, around his knees. I, I'm I, sure I, no, he was, he was wearing... just... He was just popping the top half out of the van and then opening the door. And, you know, that's kind of, I think, how it was described. Um, this but. is a quote from Lauren Coleman's Mysterious America. Um, according to reports, the clown had driven a black van near the recreational horseshoe site of Franklin Park in the Roxbury area of Boston between 4 and 6 p.m. He also appeared in the Jamaica uh, Plain neighborhood of Boston near Mary F. Curley School. So, yeah, um, I think he was I hope he was just staying in the van. But um, mm, mm, the day before, <laughs> two men had tried to lure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just for people that have never been to Boston, um, I don't advise going there. It's terrible driving <laughs> there, but uh, Roxbury and Jamaica Plain are pretty much right next to each other. That's that's not a far jump, so it kind of makes sense that they'd be right in that same area. But um, yeah, I will concur. Boston <clears throat> worst traffic in America, just absolutely horrendous. Uh, but yeah, worst um, roads, <laughs> yes, worst roads. Traffic is terrible. No yeah, perfect place for clowns, actually. Uh, it, it is. <laughs> Perfect place. Um, the day before, two men had tried to lure children into their black van with the promise of candy. Uh, students of the Lawrence Elementary School on uh, Longwood Avenue in Brookline were told to be cautious of mysterious clowns. And like, eventually this would lead to like his a little bit of hysteria before it uh, kind of died down. Um, by May 8th, Reports of clowns harassing kids had come in from East Boston, Charlestown, Cambridge, Canton, Randolph, and various other cities near Boston. And this oh, led police. Man, I was just in Randolph today. <laughs> Didn't see any clowns. That's where the did butts you? and bets store is. <laughs> That's so funny. That you're right. You sent that picture. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there's, a, there's this convenience store called Butts and Bets in Randolph, Massachusetts. <laughs> you, know, it's, you know what you're getting when you go there, okay? You know. Your uh, yeah. lottery uh, ticket and uh, so forth. Yep. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like clowns areas hanging out of his just suit. Keep... <laughs> You can learn how to beatbox by just reading the name of the store over and over again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> butts yeah. and butts and butts and butts and butts and butts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can. You absolutely can. Uh, our strange guy is teaching you how to beatbox. <laughs> just a disclaimer I am not the person to learn beatbox. Just a disclaimer. AP Strange, AP Strange, AP Strange is, the is not an authority to learn how to beatbox from. Go! I want. I'm gonna to... start carrying. I'm gonna start carrying business cards that say "Not an authority on beatboxing," <laughs> and I'm gonna start mailing ones out say "The absolute authority on beatboxing." AP Strange. Um, so. 
basically, you know, the police just start stopping any vehicle that's got clowns in it, and like every one of them <laughs> is like an innocent. Were there out there with the clowns? You would be surprised. So many clowns around delivering, like you know, clownograms and clownograms. you know, doing parties and such. Um, just so well, many clowns. That was really the last hurrah of the birthday clown, I think, was the early 80s anyway. Like, mm -hmm. the post, post the 80s, like, birthday clowns really didn't weren't a thing anymore. Like, kids didn't really like that anymore. It's kind of became passe around that time, I would say. Um, it wasn't helped by things like It um, or, <laughs> no. the, or the highly publicized uh, John Wayne Gacy stuff. Right. Uh, yeah. But that's what makes the Phantom Clowns kind of notable is that they happened a couple of years before it came out. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, it came out in 83, right? I think is when the book came out. And then 83 or 84. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're stopping everybody. It's every clown in the city. And eventually... Um, it all dies down because the Boston Globe basically reports that, you know, police are discounting all these uh, clown sightings. So it's like it disappears after that from at least the Boston area. But over a thousand miles away in Kansas City, Kansas and Kansas City, Missouri, police were found chasing knife wielding clowns driving a yellow van that had been reported at six different elementary schools. Quote. Earlier in the day at 8.30, a mother had watched a yellow van approach her children as they walked to a school bus stop. The van stopped and someone inside spoke to two girls who then screamed and fled. The vehicle sped away. The children told their mother that a man dressed as a clown and carrying a knife had ordered them inside. By noon, the police had received dozens of similar reports of a clown in a yellow van. The calls did not taper off until five o'clock that afternoon. And in Kansas, they dubbed this the killer clown affair, though, again, the press reported it as group hysteria. Now, it's Pennsylvania that has the most interesting reports here because it's not just clowns. Um, mm -hmm. So during the uh, first week of the month, children in the uh, Pittsburgh's Hill District claimed to see two men in clown suits driving a van that harassed them. Quote, in, Garf in the Garfield neighborhood of the city, someone wearing a pink and white rabbit costume reportedly frightened children and eluded capture by hopping from his blue van and scampering into an East Liberty bar. Later in the week, police got a report of a rabbit in Allegheny Cemetery. Quote. Oh, boy. Um... Uh, and, and probably the weirdest story is that um, Spider-Man had, had uh, uh, essentially joined forces with a gorilla and a clown in the Arlington Heights area, attempting to lure kids into a van. And uh, at points during this flap, uh, the police were getting up to like 15 reports a day. So after the sighting of a clown on Bentley Drive in Terrace Village, police conducted a search with the help of two canine patrols and 100 kids with clubs. The police and volunteers <laughs> were never able to capture any clowns, but witnesses insisted the costumed figures they had seen were real and not imaginary. So, like, what are these freaking clowns? Like, they're... They're kind of like 
they have the 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 qualities and characteristics of a mugger and yet they can just kind of disappear at will and they you know um well the vans are weird because like <laughs> the ones in the boston case if i remember correctly are um uh it was a beat up van like pretty they were talking about like busted up headlights busted like i think one person described that as not having license plates or something like the kind of van that would get stopped anyway yeah. just because it's like not roadworthy <laughs> right so yeah. regardless of who's driving it you know um <clears throat> the kansas one that van is bright yellow i mean how do you miss a bright yellow van if the cops are out yeah. looking for it and it keeps getting reported that's really weird and even yeah. the pale blue one with a, mm-hmm. with a giant rabbit in it seems like it would be <laughs> it would easy stand to find out a little <laughs> yes i am curious if it was like a pastel blue uh like i'm right. not sure if it was like easter color yeah, blue. <laughs> but uh um yeah, I mean that's one thing that always struck me with the cases, unless we're just gonna say it's mass hysteria and all these kids made it up. Right. Um that that uh it, it seems weird that they'd have an escape vehicle that was so easy to notice, you know. Um, also that a bunny hopped into a bar, like you've got even yeah, what did the pictures of the bar do? That. Right. Like yeah, we exactly. have no indication of what they did. Uh, but like it was it was Lauren Coleman that kind of figured out this was a flap of something and he connected it to a um, quote unquote vampire sighting in I think Wisconsin earlier that year in like March or something like that. Um, like a figure that kind of looked a lot like Nosferatu, just like hanging out. Um hmm. Uh, I forget, I, I didn't take notes on it, but it was like something that he kind of connected to it in, in some kind of way. But like, uh, Stephanie, you found some interesting clown stuff in, in California. So uh, why don't you hit us with that? Yeah. OK, so this is kind of a series of events that um, I started to put together as being weird stuff that had happened, like in a small concentrated area over a number of decades because I happened to live uh, like about a seven minute drive away for more than 15 years um, in Pleasant Hill, Mm. which is not Pleasanton. It's right next to Concord in California, which is where this area I'm going to be talking about is. Um, It's near Walnut Creek, California, and it's in the uh, greater uh, San Francisco Bay area in the east. So kind of near Mount Diablo and uh, near uh, Highway 24 through the Caltecott Tunnel. Um, it is, uh, it's mostly kind of a suburban area. Um, but the place that I'm going to be talking about, it comes through the confluence. There's like a 24 and 680, these big um, highways kind of intersect through, through uh, in there. And um, so there's a lot of traffic and everything. Uh, around this area um it first came to my attention and it, just to let everyone know we're gonna uh, people okay so far everything's been okay it seems really creepy but nothing bad happens okay bad things are gonna start happening mm-hmm. people are gonna die mm-hmm. um so if anyone wants to know about uh so uh i was living right near this place 
And um, in 2016, as you said, we had another phantom clown flap. And most of it was just like people saying, oh, yeah, I saw a clown, blah, blah, blah. Um, I was struck by one that happened. Uh, there was a young woman who was waiting at a bus stop and she had her toddler like in a stroller or something. And a clown came over and tried to grab her toddler and she freaked out and uh, he didn't get her toddler, but she ended up calling the police and filing a police report. Um, and this was in front of a Denny's on Willow Pass Road in Concord. Obviously, the best place, the most obvious place for something like this to happen is in front of a Denny's. Like, there's no exactly. way. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, Denny's is a magnet for that kind of weird shit. <laughs> yes. So I was like, what? Because I had uh, lived right near there for a long time. And I knew of several other incidents that had happened over the years. Um where uh, weird or threatening, uh, strange stuff had happened. And I had started to hear about um, clowns being related to uh, uh, threatening behavior with children. And um, there are like rumors about like, for example, there's kind of with these sacred clowns and stuff and tricksters, there's a certain point at which it kind of veers into, okay, you've taken it way too far and you have like kind of rumors of cannibalism or human sacrifice, that type of stuff in some of these uh, folklore cycles. So um, I had read in the early 2000s, Jeffrey Mishlove's book, uh, The PK Man, about his relationship with Ted Owens, who was a, a weather magician and claimed also to be able to um, conjure up UFO sightings, um, including abduction activity, and, and also to train other people in how to do this. So uh, Jeffrey Mishlov met Ted Owens in the mid-70s, and I believe he met him like 75 or 76, 1976. Um, and at that time in California, we were living through a very bad drought. <laughs> I'm thinking of like disgusting uh, things. There's been a lot of advances in water conservation and low flow toilets and things like that since then. Back then, it was like a really bad drought. I was in high school and I remember um, our water was so restricted. All the lawns and all the plants and everything were dying. And basically what you would do is like once a week, you could take kind of a, a small bath in the tub with like three inches of water and you save that water and then everyone just like pees in the toilet and you only flush the toilet using that water when someone's taking a dump in there <laughs> it was very gross <laughs> so we were very parched we were ready for rain so uh ted owens this is one of his specialties was drought busting and so he said to jeffrey mishlove who lived in uh berkeley at that time at this time 76 i was living in castro valley which is like about a half an hour south of berkeley um we're all affected by this drought so ted owens is like okay i'll set a demonstration by i think it was like by february 9th 1976 we'll have uh busted this drought you're going to have big storms and everything and as a bonus as his signature he's going to throw in some uh uh ufo related activity mm. so jeffrey's like okay this is like his first time he'd been actually exposed in real time to a ted owens weather busting experiment we had a bunch of torrential rains thank goodness 
<laughs> you could actually flush <laughs> that's so gross too like when you're sitting there and it's like your whole family and it's like everyone's using the same toilet it's just I just want to say this episode has taken some turns that nobody saw coming this evening. You are all welcome for this. I bet you can't wait for those clown synchronicities to pop up. I swear to God, if they're naked clowns, I'm coming for you, AP. I swear. (laughs) It's understandable. So just about a week before this whole experiment was going to be up, there was this guy who was 24 years old, he uh, ro- He was a salesman. So he rolls up to a restaurant on Willow Pass Road in Concord at 4 a.m. And he notices that there are like these kind of small, gray, humanoid, bald beings. And they take him to Willow Pass Elementary School, right? Children. And in the field there, there is a landed flying saucer and they take them on board it. And I don't know what happened to him. Mishlov doesn't say. Um, at 5.33, he is out of their thrall. He called the police. As anyone who listens to your podcast knows, it is highly unusual for people to be that rattled and that freaked out by what happened to them that they call the police. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did. Um, so... This is, again, you know, a very uh, weird thing. As far as I can figure, along um, Willow Pass, as far as that Denny's has been around this whole time, that would be the only place that would be that would be a restaurant that would be open at 4 a.m. So I strongly suspect that it's like the same spot where uh, in 2016, so it was like a 30 plus years later, um, that this clown tried to abduct a toddler. So those are two very strange things. Now, in the meantime, um, you were talking about uh, airports before and actually golf courses because there is a Buchanan golf course and Buchanan um, airport are both right next to like kind of behind this Denny's. Very close. I used to uh, the first time I went over to uh, my current husband's house where we lived for many years, I was walking along the road and this uh, little uh, twin engine or like a a biplane, not a biplane, like a twin engine, little uh, propeller plane came over and it was like so low over me. And I was thinking, I really hope there's an airport like really close. So this is going to be very bad. And of course there is this Buchanan field. Um. And this is in 1985, right? There is also right across the uh, highway 680 from Waterworld and this Denny's is Sun Valley Mall. So, you know, that big enclosed mall has, you know, I don't know what to say about it. It's just a mall. But this is uh, 1985, right before Christmas, right? Kids. They have a big Santa there. They actually have a big uh, Easter bunny there in the kind of main court of it, too, over the years as well. So you have kids visiting Santa, uh, family shopping and everything, and continuing the idea of danger to kids and kid things, loss of innocence. Uh, a, a small private plane was coming into land at Buchanan Field, and unfortunately, they took a dive right in Sun Valley Mall, and all three people on board were killed and uh, four people in the mall were killed as it happens my husband was there in the parking lot outside there's a lot of parking lots all surrounding the mall 
And uh, this is kind of some uh, black humor, but he says, you know, you just hear this like huge explosion in the fireball and it's just like burns off a little bit. And then there's kind of like this moment of silence. And then he's like all this breaking glass and stuff because everyone was panicking to get out of there. So it's like 8 million fender benders all at once mm. of people trying to get out there. There were 83 people that went to the hospital off that crash. Oh, and this God. is like right driving from the Denny's to Sun Valley Mall, depending upon how the light, if you, if you catch the lights or not, could take you literally two minutes. It's like right there. Um, and again, it's this idea of like menacing children and menacing children's innocence and actual bloodshed. Um, and then uh, again, now right near there. And again, it's something where if you walked from that Denny's to uh, this water world, it's like a water amusement park. Mm -hmm. Maybe five minutes if you're walking, right? Driving, you know, it's very, I mean, if you look at it on a map, it's all very close. Um, so there's this water world amusement park that has been, it's still out open, it's very popular. Um, my next door neighbor and her son used to go there and it's just, you know, it's like you just pay a small fee and you just hang out there all day when it's hot with the kids running around wearing themselves out. Um, in 1997, um, they had a, and this is interesting just for me personally, because um, this is before I had moved to Concord or to Pleasant Hill uh, and got married to my husband. Um, and now I live in Napa and there was a graduating class of uh, Napa High School. And um, it was their centennial. So these kids for their senior high trip, uh, it was in June, thankfully not May, but just barely in June, 1997, <laughs> uh, they decided that they were going to go to Waterworld and Concord. And I guess that they had usually gone to a different uh, water amusement park in Manteca. And so they had this tradition of there was a, a big water slide. And the one in Manteca was built onto the side of a hill. So it had support. So they do something they call clogging, which is just their kind of tradition that they do when they were graduating. And they just try, you know, at the end of the of the uh, day, they get as many uh, kids as they could just, you know, cramming onto the slide altogether. And in Manteca, this is okay because it was a different type of structure. But in Waterworld Concord, it's just like this fiberglass tube with barely any support. And so these um, high school seniors all decided to clog onto this thing in um, Waterworld and the structure broke. And it was uh, 33 kids fell 40 feet one after the other. Oh, and uh, one young woman, uh, Quimby Gelati, was 18 and she died. Um, a number of other kids uh, went to the, I think about 33 went to the hospital and stuff. Um, but most of them, uh, I don't think anyone had any uh, long lasting, really terrible injuries. I mean, you have like, you know, like, you know, you're through it, but it's like, no one was like uh, confined to a wheelchair long-term or anything. And, and most of them have gone on to, you know, have families and go to college. Uh, one young woman, uh, went on to run track in college and stuff, even though she was pretty severely uh, injured and spent some time in the ICU. But um, again, it's this thing of this like this kind of place where these tragedies are happening that are seem targeted to children. There's this whole idea of danger to children. And it seems to be starting with this Ted Owens experiment 
with Jeffrey Mishlove in 1976. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm not the world's greatest researcher. So if anyone is like interested in digging into this particular area and seeing what else has gone on there um, over the years, and I have no idea if it actually started with Ted Owens or if that's just the earliest that I've been able to take it. But um, it was very odd to me that, you know, you've had these, um, you know, like a UFO abduction, uh, plane crash, um, mm -hmm. you know, this tragedy with an amusement park and amusement parks are of course very, uh, they always have that super creepy side, right? Yeah. You have disasters and clowns and it's got the element of danger, um, with these kind of not, not so well, well, I mean, exactly what happened there. Like safety record is not great. I mean, if you've been well, it's to, the, it's to the a, illusion of danger, too, the illusion yeah. of danger and the rides, you know, exactly the yes. scare factor. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. not only that, but if you've been to Six Flags and you've seen that like old creepy man that or the, that one person that they get to play that old creepy man from the commercials that dances like crazy, that that's mm -hmm. uh, that. the most terrifying thing of, right. of anything. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it terrifies me every time. I, I, I hate that. I hate it. The I will never flags. go to six flags ever yeah. again. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, yeah. Uh, Steph, that gets to the heart, I think, of what a lot of the fear around clowns is is that uh, coulrophobia, I mean, there's been studies on this, uh, the things that people find creepy. Um, <laughs> a study that I referenced when I was writing about it is just like a, a research paper on creepiness based on <laughs> survey claims. And the, the clown kind of fits the archetype of creepy for a lot of people. And it has yeah. a lot to do with un unpredictability, um, things being posed as one thing where like an amusement park, you have that illusion of danger. That's the thrill of being on the ride. But then when the danger becomes real, that's an unpredictable consequence, you know? Um, mm. And like you were saying with the sacred clowns where they can be amusing, but at the same time, you're a little worried about what they're going to do in those ritual settings. And they can sometimes uh, get away with like actual violent actions or uh, really obscene things that they would otherwise not be able to. You or know? Disgusting things, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, just things that'll turn people off. So, or, um, yeah. So the vectors for the creepiness that I had um, that kind of are the, this Denny's vortex and clowns in general is. Uh, um, That's what we're calling this, folks. Uh, it's the Denny's vortex. The Denny's it's it's vortex. clearly the Denny's vortex. Well, the unpredictability is part of it. Um, I had noted unusual eye movements that this is for people generally in, in clowns. Um, Nonverbal behaviors and uh yeah yeah i mean like i i think the denny's pretty well encapsulates it because the denny's is a pretty liminal place i mean mm -hmm. uh i don't <laughs> i don't exactly. think any, anybody's yeah. ever nursing uh, moons over my hammy at 3 a.m uh <laughs> and and they're in a good state of mind you know like <laughs> Well, that's it's, interesting. You're probably going through some shit if you're sitting yeah. at Denny's. So. No, Denny's. Denny's is an absolute place of chaos. Let's be honest; it is the most chaotic right. place you could ever think to eat. Like a, I would, I would prefer the um, the ambiance of a Waffle House over a Denny's any day. Right. Well, the interesting, I mean, the, it, the other thing is, we, I'm always concerned with like uh, symbol language and how. Um, I don't want to say. 
like it, I was talking with someone about this on Twitter today and I've forgotten their name, but the idea that if you read something in a, if someone has written a book and they've systematized it and oh, it's been published and you get it, it gives it, it, um, it gives it a, an air of authority. And like you say, mm. you've removed the unpredictability because it's there in, in black and white. You can go back to it. Uh, it has this kind of air of authority to it. Um, it's systematized. It, it, it's not liminal anymore, right? It's been kind of um, frozen mm. in time. Um, but the other thing is that it's interesting to me that it's Willow Pass. Because um, when you were describing the trunk earlier, Rob, I, I thought it has some similarities to like a sweat lodge because you talked mm -hmm. about going in through a flap. Right. Um, and so, you know, when you go into a sweat lodge, right, that you you have a flap there. Um, many sweat lodges are constructed with willows and uh, willows also grow in swampy places, right? So yeah. they tend to grow in those uh, in between marshy, swampy areas. So I thought that was kind of interesting that the willow itself has this kind of uh, symbolic life to it. Also, a lot of uh, willow, if you have stands of willow, it'll tend to be in a marshy area. And um, right now we're having spring bird migration, but it tends to trap the migrants. So even there, um, a lot of animals that are just moving through. Uh, birds that are migrating will tend to uh, flock to willows because there's going to be some water there and they attract a lot of bugs that they can use to to fuel themselves for their migration. So even on that level, you have the theme of travel yeah. and uh, Hermes evoking the trickster with these these birds. So, yeah, well, it also made me think of Willow the Wisps, you know, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of it comes down can come down to um, I don't want to say ecosystems mm -hmm. and uh, various types of environment that that these things come. We think of it as like the the human constructs of society and symbol and and how we uh, organize our societies. But at the same time, we we have to build that on certain ecological facts and resources that we need to use. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. I think the main the main question we have left here at the end of all of this. If if Sam invites you into the hut, are you going into the hut? AP, are you oh, yeah. going into the hut? Is he naked? <laughs> no. No. Uh, I guess I, I guess I still would. I guess I still would. You would go in there if he was naked. <laughs> would you, Rob? I know you would. Think Sam about it. <laughs> I'd have to think about it maybe for a minute, but I probably go in just because I'm like, I'm going to have a story at the end of this thing that I can tell people and it's going to they're going to look at me like I'm a, the village idiot and I don't care. I went in the hut and you know what? Maybe, you know, maybe nobody's was better naked. <laughs> maybe the clothes were just part of his like uh his body you know and I, so that I, was Sam naked. no he yeah. said that they were the only pair of clothes that he had they are clothes yeah. they're not his, no no you no well that's what no. he would say if he was wearing a birthday suit too that's <laughs> all i got <laughs> what did this episode turn into what has happened <laughs> <laughs> on this very special birthday episode of our strange sky <laughs> uh yeah yeah no so 
Stephanie, if if he offers, if he asks you to come in the hut, are you going in the hut? Um. Oh well. Uh. Yeah. Probably. It would depend upon the vibe. Mm. Um. Because it's funny. All this talk about abduction and stuff. I spent a lot of my time, especially as a little girl in the the seventies, uh, trying not to get abducted. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I mean, if you, you know, uh, I want to say no guts, no glory. So sometimes if you have, if you want to try and find something out, you have to, you know, take certain uh, calculated risks. So I, I would probably, that curiosity would probably overwhelm me and I would. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you've heard it here, folks. We're all going in the hut and that's what you should do. <laughs> You should all go in the hut, whether that's a pizza hut, whether that is like any kind of like hut that you can find, whether that's job of the hut. I don't know. But like whatever hut it is, go into the hut. Just stay away from Denny's. Yeah, Denny's. Denny's is. Yeah, it is. It's not just liminal. It's chaotic. And at times, given the lighting in the place, it is absolutely terrifying. It's a place that you uh, and it's the appropriate place to see a hardcore show, you know, to pop up in a video (laughs) online all the time. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, so. Go in the hut, folks. That's the best advice we have to offer you is to go into the hut and go check out the weird electric heater that's in this metal hut for some reason. Uh, I can't thank both of you enough for coming on this episode and turning it into the absolute chaos that it was. It's queued up. It's queued up. Stephanie, where can everybody find you and your work on the internet? I have a blog um, called Ghost Dog is a Mystery Box. Yes. And I'm currently locked out of it, but it, I ha- have links to like uh, my YouTube channel and uh, writing and me on Twitter and all that type of stuff. And my email address, if you want to email me, uh, weird stories about naked aliens or something. <laughs> that's, 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 yeah, this is what this is, this become using my <laughs> platform to get stories about naked aliens and clouds. Naked alien erotica. <laughs> Yes. Yes. If uh, look, Stephanie wants all the naked clown and alien erotica that you have. <laughs> We've turned this you podcast might... into a make a wish. That's what's happened here. <laughs> so, what's that email address that they can send it all to? <laughs> wandering bridges which is funny because um you know i was born in fresno and the fresno night crawlers actually are just a pair of like wandering pants clearly oh, yeah clearly oh, that connected. clown that was missing them i can't, know where it's I can't believe <laughs> i can't believe we forgot to mention clown pants the clown pants ufo oh the clown pants <laughs> yes uh before we go it would behoove us to mention the clown pants and the Mufon sighting that was reported from Connecticut that supposedly happened all the way in Hollywood, California, that this woman was on this Hollywood set and she saw a strange object in the sky. And the investigator from Connecticut looked at that case and said, 
somebody threw some clown pants in the air and there you have it clown pants <laughs> come back clown pants ufo <laughs> you're the only one that can bring order to this podcast <laughs> hey ap where where can where can people follow you and send you uh naked clown erotica and naked alien erotica and uh you know i don't, I don't necessarily want that stuff no you just you just, just manifested for... it no I you will... said you said you bring upon yourself these clown synchronicities and now they have taken shape they have taken form like ghosts or the ghost area yeah, yeah, like like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. That's my yeah, version. Except it's a giant <laughs> naked clown. Um, well, you can come yell at me on Twitter about your clown syn- synchronicities uh, if mm-hmm. if you want it. And um, yeah, I'm pretty easy to find on there. Uh, and then apstrange.com. Uh, I have plenty of writings on there. Some of them include clowns or the Loch Ness Monster or the numerology of Elvis or Bugs Bunny's connection to UFOs. Um, all very serious stuff mm-hmm. uh, that you can, <laughs> my very serious research that you can look into. Um, there is a conspicuous absence of blog posts about beatboxing, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> oh, but that's gonna change. It's gonna change. I'm gonna get somebody to to hack that website, and suddenly there's gonna be a plethora of posts about beatboxing and what you should do. Which how you should Butts and bets and butts and bets and butts and bets. And that's what every post is going to say. It's butts and bets over and over again. Like it's some mysterious language that nobody knows except for AP Strange. Secret code. Yep. It's secret code. You've, it's secret code. You've all been in, initiated into the secret clown order. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know what? It's better than the insane clown posse. Like, we have our own posse. And uh, th- that's what this whole episode is about. It was an initiation for you. Congratulations. You have now climbed into our clown car of absolute chaos and buffoonery. And it has been an absolute delight uh, to do this. Um, yeah, you can follow me. You know where to follow me. There's links in the show notes or something like that. All that all that stuff's down there. You know who does the theme song and stuff like that. I don't even have the heart to do it anymore because of the chaos unleashed by this episode. But um, let's just say, um, uh, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or wailing from across the Shanklin and Sandown golf course over by the swamp and by the the, the little used airport in gray we trust <laughs> Media.